Broadcasting from the CRW studio, this is the Two Drink Minimum with your hosts, Penny and Patron. Cheers, college football fans, and welcome to the Two Drink Minimum. I am Dan Patron, and with me as always is Kevin Hannigan. The championship game is over, and Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers have climbed that mountain. Where do we go from here? How about a recap? How about overreactions? What about a way too early look at next year's contenders? Could we possibly look at the college football schedule for 2020? Yep, yep, and yep. Next on the two drink minimum. Kevin, Patron, whoo, what's up? College football season ended on Monday, yesterday. It was great. It was great. Look, we sat here and we said, pre-production meeting, how do you want to format this show? How do you want to do this show? What do you want to do? We agreed. Let's just talk about the game because that's what we do. It's a good place to start. That, that, that's what we do. Let, let's not have a format. Let's go in and see what that flow of conversation happens. Folks, if you're listening at, at home, in your car, whatever you're doing, this is not set up. This is not, you know, hey, Kevin, I'm going to say this, and then Dan, I'm going to say this. This is free flow conversation of two people who love love college football watch the game on monday and now are talking about it while having an uncle buzzy's double ipa from ithaca beer company so what's the first thing that jumped off the page at you from from the championship game kevin the first thing that jumped off the page to me patron was how great this product was that you saw last night the on the field stuff is great, but just the production of this broadcast, you compare that to ESPN's other flagship program on Monday night football, this head and shoulders above it. It is so entertaining. Herb street Fowler, Maria Taylor, the whole thing was really well done. It's an enjoyable experience to sit down and watch two of the best teams in college football play. The entire production to me was outstanding. I loved it every minute of that experience last night yeah and it's it's funny that you mentioned that because i'm at my son's basketball game today before i came over here and my buddy kurt says to me that game last night was as good of as and I, he said i'm not a huge college football fan but that game last night was as good as any nfl football game that i've seen in three four years he goes it was just so much fun to watch and i can't i couldn't agree with him more He's spot on. If you don't watch every single week, this is what you get on Saturday night with ESPN. It's like an ESPN commercial here, but you can't argue what you saw last night. They're trying to figure out who they're going to put on Monday Night Football, throw all this money at Romo. I'm afraid they're going to take Kirk Herbstreet. I love watching games with Herbie doing them. He has me into the game the entire time. But if you don't watch a lot of college football, I'm glad you got to see it last night. The stars came to play. The names that you heard about leading up to it were all storylines for better or for worse in that game last night. They were all a part of it. Okay, so th- this is this is a great segue that you just said. For better or for worse. Who's your for better for Clemson? You know, Clemson obviously lost the game. So who's your for better in that game? If you say, hey... That guy came into this game with some question marks and maybe didn't have some question marks, and he balled out. 
Isaiah Simmons was I, there weren't any question marks going into it, but that Stole was mine. Yeah, who else are you going to save for Clemson? You watch that game from that opening kick. Isaiah Simmons was all over the place. He was a different kind of player, and it took LSU a long time to adjust to somebody like him. But that guy jumped off the screen all over. He's in the backfield. He's deflecting passes. Pretty sure one time I saw him force Joe Burrow to pass the ball to Thaddeus Moss, and then he knocked it away from Thaddeus Moss 15 yards down the field. I think that happened one time. I don't know how it's physically possible, but Isaiah Simmons was able to do it. So I would have loved to say Isaiah Simmons, too. He was one that jumped off the page at me. If if I can't go with him and you're going to go with him, I got to go with Travis Etienne, though. I think that he showed NFL executives what they wanted to see. He had power in that game. He had speed in that game. He was able to catch the ball in that game. To me, he was... And it wasn't not even relatively close. The best player on the Clemson offensive side of the ball. The and I guess I'll just jump right into my worst. The Clemson wide receivers looked like young men. They 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 didn't look like grown men like the LSU wide receivers looked like. And to me, if I am an NFL executive, obviously Justin Ross needs to come back. He's not draft eligible yet. But if you're looking at T. Higgins in terms of NFL draft, I have question marks about that guy. After seeing him play Ohio State, he said he's banged up. That's why he didn't have a great game. Then he comes in there against LSU. I, I thought much of the same. I thought much of the same from T. Higgins. So if I'm looking at for worse with Clemson, I'm looking – well, you know, I'm sure you're going to jump into those cornerbacks, but uh, that's what options. I'm looking at. There are a few options on the cornerback side of things, but that's where I'm looking at for better or for worse. I'm looking at offensive side of the ball, Travis Etienne for better, T. Higgins for worse. I mean, that it was it was so bad he may consider coming back. He won't come back, but you were a big T. Higgins guy. Huge. The Bills sitting there in the early 20s in need of a receiver. He was tempting. And we had talked about that we wanted to see some things from him, especially on the physical side. You got a brief glimpse of that on the reverse to him. That collision with Fulton was violent uh, near the goal line there, and he got the best of that battle. So I was starting to change my opinion, but he just gets banged. People bang him up. He's banged up in games because he's getting lit up. He comes across the middle in this game, takes a shot to his legs, and then was irrelevant the rest of the game. One play like that coming across the middle. He drops the next two passes across the middle, goes to the locker room, comes back. I think he has one catch after that hit. He catches the ball, gets hit low, and kind of hobbles off. One catch the rest of the game. He was a non-factor for them. Right, and to speak to your point about the production team being fantastic, uh, Kirk Herbstreet was talking about it at the end of the game. It's a fourth-quarter possession. It's still a ball game at that point. It's a second and ten, maybe a first and ten. He drops a pass that's six-yard pass, you know, five-yard pass. It's low, but it's intentionally low, so he's the only guy that can get it. He doesn't haul that in, and you've got to catch that ball. Second and five, third and five is so much different than and ten, anything and ten. You know, second and 10, third and 10, it just opens up your playbook if it's second and five, or it allows you to pick up a crucial third down if it's third and five. You have to make that play, even though it's not a huge play, even though it's not a, a drop on a 50 yard bomb, even though it's not a drop on a third down conversion. A first down five yard pass, 
that you fail to reel in sets the whole rest of that drive back. And it, that happened a couple of times. So, you know, with T. Higgins, I came in a, a big fan. I'm still a big fan of him. He's a physical freak. But he just didn't look like a man like Jamar Chase looked like, like Justin Jefferson has looked like. You know, if you're an NFL team and you can get T. Higgins at 20 or Justin Jefferson at 40, who's your guy? To me, it's got to be Justin Jefferson. If you didn't value, if you didn't know anything about these players and you just tuned into the playoff, knew nothing about them, you wouldn't have really known who T. Higgins was after the semifinal game. He was a storyline because he was injured. Same kind of thing last night. I don't know if he's a physical guy. I haven't seen it from him in these big games. Last year it was Justin Ross in the playoff putting on a show. This year, T. Higgins was someone I was looking forward to watching in this game. Didn't live up to it. LSU had a lot of guys who lived up to it. You brought up the running back for Clemson, ETN. I don't know if we want to get into him right now because I thought when they went away from him, that was a big change in this game. I Look, that that's right in my notes. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That is something that I have, but talk about that. Tell me, tell me what you saw there. Leading into the game, 16 carries was the most he had this entire season. You and I discussed it in the lead-up to this game. We want him to be featured. Make it a focus. Get him the ball 20 times. They were on pace in that game to do exactly that. When they scored to make it a 28-25, there was 11 minutes left in the third quarter. At this point, he has 14 carries for 80 yards. He was their most effective offensive weapon. He gets one carry the rest of the game. One other carry. He's averaging almost six yards a carry. You go to him one more time. They fell behind. And by, the naysayers are going to say that that one more time lost two yards. Right, that one did. That, that one more time lost two yards, but I fully agree with you there. It's... One of those situations where you're chasing LSU and you get away from your game plan. It gets to 35-25, and it seemed like there was all this pressure on Clemson to score quickly because LSU was. You bring up the drops. It's a great point. You just needed a few first downs. Clemson had the ability to score on LSU. They showed it, and then they got away from what they were doing, and they're passing the ball every single time. Some big drops from them, and now you're four straight punts. We, oh, it happened to Oklahoma. It happened to Clemson. You go three, four, five straight possessions punting it. You cannot beat LSU. You can't keep up with them over a sustained you know, two quarters when you're not scoring and picking up first downs. It, right. And I think that what's interesting is as I watch talking heads talk about this game and go back and forth about the beginning of the second half, one thing that I find interesting is that nobody's talking about LSU's second possession it, it, it's in the second half it's sort of like this thing where Clemson got a stop then they got a touchdown and then we pretend that LSU came back down and got a touchdown after that there's two possessions in between that then Clemson so it's LSU three and out or maybe it was four and out maybe they got an initial first down whatever LSU gets stopped punts Clemson gets the touchdown two-point conversion here we go we got ourselves a ball game the forgotten thing is then they got another stop. So they, they get another stop at that point. What happens on that next drive, right? So the second drive, 
They get a first down. First throw is a first down. Clemson, we're talking Clemson about, gets a first down. Gets a first down. And then they throw it three straight times, two drops within those three straight times. You got the Nagata drop, and then you have uh, another T. Higgins drop, and they punt it away. LSU catches fire from there. Skalski gets ejected. Game's over. Right. So, you know, these drops just totally killed him. And this was right what you're talking about. The first drive was that ETN. Bang, 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 bang. They get another stop. They come back. They throw it four times. Right. Two drops. And your defense is coming right back and right back on the field. And LSU is too good to need your defense to stop them. The Clemson defense impressed me last night. Outside of the two cornerbacks – who were not up to the task, but you're also going against the best receiver in college football. So that nobody was able to shut that guy down really this year. But outside of that, I was impressed with Clemson. I liked what they were doing. They realized their safeties couldn't hang with the receivers, so we'll just get them into the mix. They were moving Simmons around. Five sacks for Clemson. This isn't last year's Clemson D-line. This year's Clemson D-line against the best offensive line in college football. You get five sacks, and the only reason you had an opportunity to win this game was because of how well that defense played early on, and they changed the tone of the game. There wasn't a pick six or something enormous like that, but forcing punt after punt and your offense is chipping away, getting seven, three points on a few drives, Clemson defense well done outside of that really your matchup against Jamar Chase. It, it, and you're absolutely right about that. When you take a look at Clemson's defense and you say, well, they gave up 42 points. Hey, Henny, they gave up 42 points. How can you be impressed with the Clemson defense if they gave up 42 points? LSU had 15 drives. You, you know, I, if, if you say that LSU has 15 drives, they're normally going to score 70 points. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, 15 drives is a lot of drives to give that LSU team. We thought that they needed, you know, hey, get get four or five stops. They got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They got seven stops and a missed field goal out of that defense. The end of the game is a kneel down. They got seven stops and a missed field goal out of that defense. You know, Oklahoma got you know, before the game was over, what, one stop? You know, I didn't even know LSU had a punter. Right, I had to look up this guy. Uh, right. So I, it was Clemson's offense that really let him down, and I think it started with – it starts with those receivers. I think those receivers were very, very disappointing for Clemson because, you know, to be quite honest – uh, not to take anything away from the LSU defense because I thought Patrick Queen was otherworldly. I thought Stingley was just locked down. We're not even going to go against that guy. I don't know if anybody had a catch on Stingley the whole night. I, I don't think he gave up a pass reception the entire night. But Fulton was susceptible. They did not think that Fulton could cover any of they their They went at him right away. They went at him. They continued to go at him. You're right. They were open. The, those passes were there, and you know, but those wide receivers just didn't step up. When I talked about my X factors last week, I didn't expect Higgins and Ross to be as much of non-factors as they were. But then my X factors of Rogers and Overton, Overton had a zero zero, 
You I know? saw him one time and on the field. I know Rodgers had two catches for eight yards. Those, right. those guys did nothing. Two-point conversion for Rodgers, though. Two-point conversion for Rodgers, which doesn't <laughs> count for your stats. So when you say two catches for eight yards, that doesn't count. But extra points count for kicker stats? I, I, who knows? <laughs> but he did have a two-point conversion. The, the punting things, I just wanted to look up the, the punter from LSU. Seven was the most times he punted all year. So when you do want to talk about the defense, if you only look at the 42 points, that's misleading to how well this defense played in this game. Auburn forced LSU to punt six times. That was a 23-20 game. And then you had you know Alabama four, Mississippi State five. But nobody forced them to punt seven times in a game. Clemson did. They were the number one defense statistically. That skewed a little bit because of who Clemson played. But I was impressed with those guys at almost every level. But when you get to the cornerback, and we need to talk about A.J. Terrell and Jamar Chase, if your guy can't cover theirs, it's over. I think I was texting with you last night during the game. Like, this game, they're not going to be able to win this game. You took your number one against their number one, and as soon as LSU recognized this is a, a huge advantage for us. I wouldn't have thought it going in. But early on, they weren't force feeding it. Then they recognized he can't eight can't cover one game over. Game over. And even I, I texted you. Hey, do you try? Do you try Kendrick on him? And they did a little bit, but he couldn't cover him either. How mad was Dabo at him at halftime? Nobody could cover him. I, you know, Dabo was so mad at him. I, I would, I would have to disagree with that. What? I, did you? Are you I, watching it? I, I got. What I gotta, are you talking I about? That's think, all he said. I got to think that Dabo does his in the halftime speech to the team, though. Dabo does his. Let me build up my guy type thing did, with eight because his eight, interview at halftime was only about how bad of a play that was by that kid. That's by, his oh, only talk. Oh, that's you're talking about number, you're talking about Kendrick on, yes, the, on the third and nineteen. Oh, I thought you meant he he ripped. He was gonna. He ripped AJ Terrell at halftime. No, when they switch you off of him, that's as insulting as it has to get to you. Oh, Nobody yeah, has to say absolutely, a word. Absolutely. That that third and nineteen. Not only was it a bad pass interference, terrible. it was actually an easy pick. Right. It was a terrible throw. If the ball's not there, why are you running into him? I don't understand. He's, all he had to do, and this is a guy that was a wide receiver in high school, so this isn't a foreign concept to you. Right. Turn around and play the ball. He's been Clemson for two years. Exactly. He knows what he's so, doing. But with AJ Terrell, you know, you kind we kind of said it tongue in cheek with T Higgins. I don't think that T Higgins is going to come back. No, uh, you know he's gone. I think that people say, well, injuries. That's an aberration. He's definitely a first round talent. I'm going to take him. He's a freak. He's a physical freak. AJ Terrell is. A I don't want him story. in the first round. AJ Terrell is a different story. I think that he has to come back to Clemson after that game. What happens to your draft stock? When you are exposed as a young man who can't lock somebody down in coverage and can't tackle, you know, so this is a kid who had, he's had a spectacular season. And I know that we make a point on this show to not just rip on kids, but I, I, he's a fantastic talent, but it was clear that he needs to be bigger. He needs to put some, some muscle on. It was clear that he can't play you know, with these with these grown men that LSU was rolling out there. And I, I realize that Chase is a sophomore, but people's bodies are different at different ages. Terrell needs another year because an NFL team cannot plug him in as a first-year starter next year. And that's what you're expecting out of your first-round draft picks as a cornerback right. right now. So, I, you know, I, I think Terrell comes back. 
why not? You know, you're not coming back to a program that may get somewhere. You're coming back and maybe winning another national championship. And you're not slumming it. It's got to be a pretty good life I, playing I, football at Clemson. It's a little different than your college experience and my college experience, I'm pretty sure. So when you look at it, you have no bills. You know, like you, it's, it has to be so fun and an amazing experience that if you're coming back to school, my college experience was pretty fun. I'm sure, but I'm sure it was different. <laughs> I had I had Trevor Lawrence esque hair. I mean, I, I, it, I was almost as good at football as he was. I, you know, I was I, I had a pretty good time. Right? Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> uh, um, let so let's talk about Trevor Lawrence and it, yeah, you need to get to the quarterbacks. We're going to get to LSU and we're going to get to the to the accolades of LSU. Well, before we get to Trevor Lawrence, let's let's. Let's do a, you know, a buy sell for LSU. There's a lot to buy for LSU, you know, but let's do a, a, a win lose for LSU. Who was your guy on LSU that pops off the page? We've talked about Jamar Chase. There's no doubt when you watch that game, who the best receiver in college football was this year. Judy had an outstanding season. There's some really good receivers this year in college football. But when you know that that's their best guy and you have to stop him and you, I'm sure game planned for it and you couldn't, you don't let him run by you. Okay. I'm not going to let him run by me, coach. <laughs> there he goes. It was, it was impressive last night. And we got to talk about Joe Burrow too. The stars showed up and played incredible for LSU. The guys that they needed to play big, played big as good as they could play. It, it was you know, as you're watching Joe Burrow and you're trying to wrap your head around what he's doing and what he did this year, and, and obviously it's that recency effect. This is the guy you're watching right now. This is the player you're watching right now. But I think that if you look back on this five years from now, if you look back on this in the off season, if you take some time and you step away from what Joe Burrow did this year, I you would still find yourself saying, is this the greatest individual season a college football player has ever had? And the game has changed. I get it. So let's just say like in modern football, I guess. So like when we were paying do, attention, do we quantify <laughs> that and say like in modern football, I, you know, I don't know, but undefeated season record breaking stats, national championship, and the biggest landslide winner for a Heisman Trophy winner in history. That certainly seems to me that it's not an overreaction and not an overreach to say that this young man had the greatest single season of college football that any player has ever had. That's high praise. Uh, Hey, I'm just trying to figure out how you can argue against it. It's tough. You could get into the minutia of like, here's this. You can throw a bunch of numbers at it. But when you watch the whole thing from start to finish, how the storyline with LSU football changed this season with him and some of the additions they made and just how they went about their business so much differently this year. You win a championship in the Superdome. The entire story is amazing. And I think that's part of it, too. The stats are as good as anybody's the Heisman, the national championship, the entire, you look at the whole picture, right. you look at this thing holistically, 
you can argue that he's somebody's on the same level, but it's going to be really difficult to say, well, this person's was that much better. I mean, I think you have to. You said it holistically, the totality of the circumstances. I think that you have to look at all of that. And, yeah, you know, you may look at somebody like Lamar Jackson's stats, and you're like, those were otherworldly. But he didn't go undefeated. He didn't win a national championship. You may look at another guy who went undefeated and won a national championship that didn't put up those stats. You know, Trevor Lawrence's season last year. It's just tough to say that somebody has ever done it better than what he just did. And, and to your point with changing LSU's offense and changing everything that LSU did, our boy DZ threw this stat at us today. He said he heard this stat this morning that Joe Burrow threw for 60 touchdowns this year. In the past four years combined, LSU QBs threw for 59 touchdowns. That's better. That's insane. It is. That's insane. He threw for more touchdowns in a year. Wait, that includes him last year. It does. He's part of that. That includes him last year. Part of the problem. (laughs) But... 60 touchdowns in one year is as much is, – is one touchdown more than the last four years combined. That's crazy. Nobody has a better resume after the, in one season. Not entire career, a one-season resume or whatever you want to put out there for Joe Burrow. Oh, facts. It's, You're definitely talking about one season. Yeah, what he did. And Lamar Jackson, I like that you brought him up because I saw today that Joe Burrow is one month older than Lamar Jackson. Oh, that's hilarious. I know. Your NFL MVP is younger than Joe Burrow. I don't wow. know what you want to do with that, but I saw it. Wow. Actually, I was told that. Then I had to fact check it because <laughs> I was like, no, I get a text message from my dad. You know this? And I go, that's not that's, that, that's like the old Bryce Harper stat where he was like played in the MLB for like five years before he pay, faced a pitcher younger than him. You know, that, that's like one of those crazy Harper. things. I don't care about um, Bryce Harper. Good, because I don't either. LSU, did they have a guy that that you watched and you were unimpressed by? I mean, is there anybody that jumped off the page? For me, I, I, I've got to say Fulton. I was surprised that they picked on him, and he seemed very susceptible to being picked on. They did but, go at him a lot. But, um, you know, I didn't see a guy on LSU that really disappointed me all that much. When I look at a guy like Grant Delpit, I, I – keep on expecting more out of him and maybe it's just a high standard that I'm holding him to but you know he'll be an interesting player to see what happens with him in the NFL you know because he doesn't seem like he ever reached that potential in college football of what you thought he would be because he's a physical freak Delpit but he was the best guy at his position this year Uh, I, I, I I I'm not really I don't think he should have won that award this year. But still, I, I mean, he's, he's a pretty and, good. And, and I get that. Pretty it, good job. It, it, and, he's going to be playing for the Cowboys next year. Lock it up. Sure, Safety sure. Safety for the Cowboys. Sure, but when you watch him game in and game out, and I think that a lot of LSU fans, and LSU fans get on Facebook and, you know, hit me back, get on Twitter and hit me back and tell me I'm an idiot. But I think you would get a lot of LSU fans. I think you <laughs> – I think you'd get a lot of LSU fans that would say that Stingley is a better secondary player, is a better player in the secondary than Grant Delpit. They take him over all their other guys. It's a crime. It is a crime that Stingley and Chase have to play college football next year. I'm going to love it. But if this is the NBA, those two dudes are starters in the NBA the next year. 
It is ridiculous. I, I, I want to see Stingley play offense next year, though. That will be fun. And so for two years, he's they're going to just do stuff like that, gimmicky things with them for a bunch of their games. I love it as a college football fan, but it is outrageous that those two guys have to come back and play when they are going to see so many guys that they are better than and get drafted. Kevin, you're, get, you're getting political. You're getting a little political here. I just think that's you watch it, and they were two of the best players on the field, and I had no um, reason to like want somebody else watching those guys. Give me those two guys, and now they have both of them coming back next year. Um, I don't want to get to next year yet. Can I? Just, I want to make a quick point though. I mean, we talk about we talk about players that we were high or low on with LSU, and it's a bad pun. But I thought Cordell Flout had a really good game, by the way. But did you notice how they casually dropped in that Divinity failed his fourth drug test and got nine games? Did you notice that during the game? They just slip it in. Michael Divinity, uh, rumor has it, is his fourth drug test, uh, nine games. And then they just kept talking about it. Why do you have a policy? You know, like, like, he has his fourth drug. Yeah, he's failed the fourth time, and they held him out till the national championship game. The dude's out there making plays. Marijuana's illegal in Louisiana right now. Is it legal or illegal in, in Louisiana? It's illegal. But for you Michael have to Divinity. adhere to NCAA. I think policies, if somebody, right? uh, yeah, most people with jobs, there's probably rules for them. Can okay, the Colorado Buffalo guys cheat it up? Or you gotta look it? into it. And I just thought that was they just casually slipped that in there that we finally found out what was going on there with Divinity. Um, but the kid from Clemson, some PEDs, he's gone a year. Self-medicating. I thought they went away from him. You know, he had a couple of nice plays in the middle, and they never never went back to him. Um, you know, I, with with regard to the Clemson game plan, they didn't do enough at the beginning on offense when they had LSU confused. I don't know if they thought that that, that was going to work for the entire game, but you can't have seven points after you stopped LSU three times. You know, you force LSU to punt three times. That was their first three possessions, correct? I'll check. I'll fact check myself on the right. box score. But they they force them to punt three times, and they only get seven points out of that. You have to have more out of that. And you know, one of the things that I was really disappointed in, and we talked about it here last week, was how conservative they were on that first drive. They're they're sitting there on the LSU twenty-four. It's second and seven. And they run that draw up the gut. Not even with Travis Etienne. They run it with Dixon. He picks up one yard. They get a sack on the next play and they punt. Next drives, they score on their third drive. But the second and fourth drive, they they just totally forget about Etienne after he rips off chunk yards. First down play on their second drive, Henny. Five yards with Etienne. Then two incompletions and a punt. First down play on their fourth drive, six-yard gain with ETN. Two incompletions, and they punt. So, you know, again, it goes back to what we were saying about Clemson the entire year. When are they going to use ETN? And they never did. And it, it was just disappointed because I LSU is the better team. I, I LSU is definitely the better team, definitely the national champion. Right. I'm not saying that Clemson should have won this game. I'm saying – I think this game could have been better if Clemson would have played it a little bit differently. And it's frustrating to see 
ETN not get that opportunity. You know, almost as frustrating with uh, Ohio State a couple of years ago when they lose in the Big Ten championship game with Zeke sitting on the sideline after he tore it up. They end that game and you go, how come Zeke Elliott didn't touch it more? Right. He touched it like nine times and had 70 yards. You know, like it, 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 that, that part to me was disappointing from the Clemson offense. De- uh, Demo talked about it after the game that it's going to be sick watching the film and they'll learn from it and said all the right things. But I- I'm with you right there. That was repeatedly something we discussed throughout the season, thinking they're saving him. It's not like he wasn't successful. E10 was successful in this game. And there were a lot of opportunities. I would have liked to see them force LSU to stop the run. I didn't think they needed to score a bunch of points early. I thought that was playing out exactly how Clemson wanted. As long as LSU is having to adjust and question what's going on, Clemson was going to be fine in a close game is what I thought. I said to you last week, I didn't think Clemson was going to beat themselves, but they did. They made mistakes that I did not think Clemson was going to make. When they were playing that game tight, I thought that was going to be fine. That's all you needed to see from them. As long as you're just keeping it close, they, Lawrence is going to make the plays later on. They're not going to have bad penalties. They're not going to have drops. And then when BT Potter made a 50-yard field goal, you saw Dabble's excitement. Mine was the exact same. Oh, because you called it? Was it because you called it on your X Factor? Just take the offsides, take the offsides, take the offsides, and then have Kick a 50-yarder. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> you, hey, you called it. You called it. Wait, wait. <whistles> halftime. Okay. A short halftime. We're back. We're back after halftime. Um, well, speaking of X-Factors, when we talked about X-Factors last week, you know, my X-Factors were the two other guys who we talked about with Clemson doing nothing. And then my X-Factor for LSU was Moss. You know, it, five catches, 36 yards, two touchdowns, which I was surprised to see he only had 36 yards. But five catches, 36 yards, two TDs. It seemed like all five of his catches were enormous. And... You know, that that's that's the difference right there. They did not have a guy that could cover Moss or they did not have another guy besides Isaiah Simmons. That's true. Who could cover Moss? You know, we talked about it a little bit before we started here. If they had two Isaiah Simmons, they might have been okay. But you couldn't have Isaiah. Hey, you winning a national championship you, with two Isaiah Simmons. You couldn't have Isaiah Simmons rush the quarterback and cover uh, Thaddeus Moss. And when Isaiah Simmons wasn't on Thaddeus Moss, he just ran roughshod over those guys. And, That's true. And, and it just, it you know, Tanner Muse, and we talked about it, just some of those guys, they're really good players. But your, your third or maybe your second best cover guy was, it was Kayvon Wallace, who's your safety, and that just leaves you exposed. That just leaves you really, really exposed. They, they, Clemson tried to run that defense with five, you know, five DBs, six DBs, but they didn't have enough DBs to run that off to run that defense against Chase Jefferson. Those guys, those guys just are too good. LSU is too good and no answers from Clemson. No answers from Clemson. The offense could have played better. I thought it could have been a closer game, but no answers for, for the Clemson uh, for the Clemson defense against that LSU attack. Not over a long period going, of time. Not over a long period of time. Once they started going they did vertical. What, it, they did enough. We talked about the fact that they did enough. At 35-25, I'm thinking you're if supposed you score, to get, Clemson, it, you're in it. If you get five stops, you're supposed to be in that game if you're Clemson. So 
you know, they weren't supposed to have answers. We talked about it. If they can slow them down, Clemson has a chance. And they slowed them down, but they had no answers on the long haul. And to me, this was LSU's defense coming in and really proving a point that they were a better unit than they had been getting credit for. I thought they looked very good. It's a good point. And Lawrence, he was not accurate, but it did seem like on a lot of those passes, there were just LSU dudes blanketing the Clemson receivers. They'd show you the replays, and it's hard to see the first time you watch a replay and recognize there was no one open. He was just throwing it in the area, hoping that one of his guys was going to make a play. But people were covered all over the field. A few times some guys were open. They dropped it, but it felt like there was rarely space for the Clemson receivers. I was impressed by the LSU secondary. Right, and, and not only no space for the Clemson receivers, but no space for Clemson, for Trevor Lawrence to really step into a throw. I saw an unofficial stat, 13 overthrows, you know, 13 balls that sailed. He did look, Trevor Lawrence looked a little bit off kilter. He did not play his best game, but a lot of that has to be attributed to LSU. I think some of that was on Lawrence, just did not have a good game. But a lot of that is also on LSU and guys at his feet. When you can't step into your throw, when you feel uncomfortable stepping into your throw, your release point is going to stay high, your stride is going to stay short, and you're going to sail balls. And that happened all night. And that was a big part of uh, uh, mostly caused by that LSU pass rush, which maybe didn't get home a ton. You maybe don't see a ton of stats there. How many, do, you, do you have how many sacks they had? I don't know how many sacks they had. They, didn't they only have, sacked him twice. They didn't have a ton. Tw- yeah. Two? They two. only sacked him twice. But they were at his feet, and they caused a lot of those, a lot of those overthrows. 13 overthrows for Trevor Lawrence is twice as many as he's had in his college career. If Lawrence played the way he played against Alabama, Clemson was going to be able to win that game. But that's what they needed. They needed – but that's not as just good as on Lawrence, could. though, because that LSU defense is better than that Alabama defense last year. I'd have to go back and take a look at that. But they, he needed to play as good as he could play because that's how good LSU is. You're asking your defense 42 points. That's doing your job. Again, the way this game went, 42 points was doing your job. They needed 43. He was not playing well enough. The receivers weren't doing enough. And – I go back to our initial reactions after the semifinal games, and your gut reactions to the semifinal games ended was correct. Now that I go back and think about it, LSU was that much better. Clemson did not have the DBs to cover the LSU receivers. Ohio State would have. This would have been a great game if Clemson could have borrowed the Ohio State DBs. Just a couple of them. All of them. The entire second. That was the question going into it, and you try to convince yourself in the lead-up, I think they can do it because it just seemed like it was going to be so easy for LSU. So how can we get on board with Clemson and find a way for them to win? And you convince yourself of it, and then you realize, no, they couldn't. They just didn't have the guys that were needed in this game. I, you know, I didn't think that they could do it, but I thought that if you would have showed me the drive chart for LSU without showing me the drive chart, the drive chart for Clemson, I would have thought that this was a, a closer game. I thought Clemson's offense could have done more. Yes, you're right. And that's what let them down. And, in this and game. that's what let them down. And their offense was actually so bad that they gave LSU 15 possessions. That's a lot of possessions 
in a ball game, especially for an offense that works as quickly and as efficiently as LSU. I agree. I don't have much else about this game. I mentioned the stuff at the beginning about the production and heard from a couple people and talked to a lot of people today. They're just football fans. And you could tell they enjoyed watching it last night. The players, the coaches in this game are great sound bites when you hear Orjon and Dabble. They're the perfect guys to have out there. There was no villain in this game. Like in the NFL, we've rooted against the Patriots now for 20 years, and it always gives you a villain. With college, you root against Alabama. College, if Saban's there, people want Saban to lose. It was just fun watching that game last night because there was no bad guy there. You're rooting for everyone. You love the stories. It's the best. To me, it's my favorite sport. We talk about the regular season, and then the way it's structured, you're going to get championship games like this. The whole year was incredible, and last night was exactly what I wanted as a college football fan. Absolutely. Best team is the national champion. Best team is the national champion. Best yes. and, and the best team for the entire year, not the team that got hot at the end. You can't do that and in this I, sport. And I think that that is something that's lost on everybody who says, let's expand the playoffs, give them oh. a chance. Oh, don't even get They me going. deserve a chance. Give them a chance. The team that gets crowned at the end of the year should be the best team of the totality of the season. You know, I mean, and I don't know how many times we see it. I know you're a Nationals fan, so I'm not just going to put this on the Nationals because it happens time and time again in baseball where it's not the best team from start to finish in baseball. It's true. It's the team that gets hottest. Right. You know, that's why a wild card winner ha oftentimes has success in baseball is because this team that's flaming hot going into the playoffs. Right. You know, NFL is the same type of thing. You got the Tennessee Titans playing for the AFC championship this year because they're flaming hot. They've been playing playoff games for six weeks. You know, so so here they go. Here they are. They also have a guy that was created on a video game playing running back. But one of the questions that I have coming out of here, Kevin, to transition, yeah. an overreaction or, or maybe just a reaction. I don't know. Where does LSU go from here? It's a good question. Is, is this a sustainable college football powerhouse or is this just a special – special season and i think it's the same thing that you asked about clemson when with deshaun watson you know deshaun watson they slay the beast they were underdogs when they won against alabama they slay the beast with deshaun watson and that same question was asked about them so now let's ask the question about lsu they're losing joe burrow they're losing joe brady yeah it was just announced today that they're losing joe brady is this a budding college football powerhouse or is this a special season that will go down in history as maybe one of the best teams of all time maybe one of the best players of all time or 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 do we have a new power rising right now well i don't think it's an either or there because i think the whole thing about historically where this ends up is going to it is true and it's going to be true but when you look at can you sustain it that would be saying what Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney have been able to do is easy, and I don't think it is. Obviously, the recruiting, you can look at that, but Saban's had seven offensive coordinators for him there at Alabama, and when you transition like that, it can't be easy. You need to know what you're doing, and for LSU, this is all 
brand new for those guys kind of working with the expectations. I know it's LSU, so I'm sure people have pretty high bar set there, but 15 and 0 Heisman trophy winner, national champions. We throw the ball around. What if you realize next year that, well, we got this running back, we've got this O-line, maybe it changes, but LSU, it's going to be difficult to sustain it because you're trying to sustain 15 and 0. If you're where they're going to play next year, you're playing Texas. You're playing at Florida, Alabama, at Auburn, at A&M. Like it's not. I don't want to disrespect the ACC, but you're Clemson. It's a little different going into next year for LSU to sustain it. You have to be incredibly good and win such difficult matchups every single year that some of the other schools in the other conferences don't have to. Right, right, and and Clemson has their quarterback coming back. Right. You know, the one thing that I would say about Clemson that's super, super interesting to me is that Joe Brady is leaving, but he's not actually the offensive coordinator. Right. He's not actually the guy that calls the plays. So it, it, Joe Brady, it, it's unquestioned that he's the architect of this offense, and I get that. And, and I don't know the interplay between him and Steve Ensminger. I have no idea. You know, and I don't think many people do. But they're not losing Steve Ensminger. They're not losing their offensive coordinator. So what does Joe Brady leaving, you know, what happens there? Because a lot of times you go, oh, you know, the Atlanta Falcons, Kyle Shanahan left. They stink. Okay, it was Kyle Shanahan. Right. I get it. But with Steve Ensminger still there as the offensive coordinator and as the guy that's calling the plays, I mean, you clearly see him in the booth last night calling the plays with the headset on, calling the plays. Right. I'm sure Joe Brady's in his ear. Joe Brady's the architect of the offense in its totality. But, you know, they're not losing their offensive staff, the guy that called all these plays is still there. I think Matt Rule probably knows what he's doing. I mean, they're picking up a guy that is an oh, incredible that's talent. Awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Like, I'll be interested to see if he's Cam got the Newton. Baylor D coordinator with him. I'll he's be, there, and then you grab the LSU I'll be guy. interested to see if that's they pretty want cool. Cam Newton. I, don't, I think Cam Newton's out, to be honest with you. It'll that's be interesting cool. to see what happens there. I think they draft a guy and Cam Newton's out, but that's, that's going down a rabbit hey, hole right there. They have a um, couple first-round picks to – Dangle there with yeah. the Bengals. Oh, Justin Herbert is. Good. They're gonna grab Justin. But if Herbert you're like, I don't think it's the Brady loss as much as Joe Burrow. He, the guy is not some just you're plugging and playing a quarterback in a no. system. He no. was so much better than that that when you look at next year for LSU, you're gonna need somebody to play on that level. This was not Ken Dorsey in the 01 Hurricanes, where the team had such great talent. You just needed to be good enough. Because you had an all-pro defense, amazing running backs and receivers, and the quarterback wasn't on that level. Burrow was their best player. Right, but I, however, I, but I'm not so sure that this team can't win with just a guy at quarterback. It, it, and it, they're maybe not 15 and 0. You know, maybe they lose a game, sneak into the college football playoff. You know, but next year when you're talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire coming back and being one year older, when you're talking about Jamar Chase already as the best player, uh, the best wide receiver in college football coming back, when you're talking about Derek Stingley, 
who's already in that conversation as the best cornerback in college football, coming back and maybe playing some offense. When you, Thaddeus Moss is coming back, he was only a sophomore, right? He's coming back as well, I believe. So, so when you're talking about a lot of these guys coming back, the guy next year might not have to be Joe Burrow to win. Right. Because when you look at college football next year, and I said it to you you know, earlier on, I, I said it to you, uh, you know, via text messages where it's just going back and forth talking about college football. Next year's college football season looks very up in the air to me. There are a ton of marquee quarterbacks leaving. There are a ton of marquee running backs leaving. You know, even those programs, Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, Ohio State with Justin Fields, with the marquee quarterbacks coming back, are losing very, very huge marquee running backs in uh, J.K. Dobbins and Travis Etienne. Clemson, we saw, I, they don't really have a guy coming in. I get it that Dobbins was backed up by Mass Fatigue. He looks like the next guy that's that's going to be there. Those two teams have to be considered your favorites next year. Absolutely. But other than that, when you're looking at college football, you know, Spencer Rattler may or may not be the guy for Oklahoma. LSU loses Joe Burrow. Alabama loses Tua. Oregon loses Justin Herbert. You know, uh, uh, Washington loses Jacob Eason, you know, for what that is worth. But it, that's still them and losing their, their quarterback and their coach. You know, Georgia loses Jake Fromm. There are guys everywhere that are just gone. It's that's some, college football some every huge year, marquee. It is because guys have to stay till they're juniors college, and seniors. It so. is college football every year, but it seems like there's been a passing of the torch in some of these marquee programs that I don't see there. I, I I don't remember this much question mark at quarterback for Alabama in quite some time. It will. Uh, Maybe when Jalen Hurts was a freshman? Was that the last well, time? So wondering four if it was going to be two or Hurts. They played so that game four years ago. Four years ago when um, McCarron. But, but don't they have the number one player, like number one quarterback or one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming in? So when you look at these schools, the rich just get richer in college but football. But he's still a freshman. I mean, we see it in like college basketball all the time. But we, like, like, I don't believe it until a guy steps on campus. Right. But we saw this year so many great freshmen step in and be ready to go. I think guys are going to be more ready than ever year after year with the work they put in year round with the quarterback coaches and the ability to get on campus in January. Like Clemson, their 80 of their 20 guys are freshmen or sophomores. Plus they had 15 guys show up in January that have already been practicing for the last couple of weeks with this team. So these guys are bringing guys in in January. So they are ready to go. I think the rich get richer and it, you're, it's going to shake out at the end of the year. You're going to have Clemson. You're going to have Ohio state. You're going to have Penn state, some sec schools. It's going to Oklahoma is going to be 12 and all. And we're going to be going uh, big 12 stinks. That's what's going to be sitting there for us. It, they have the best players. And they bring in the best players every year. So I don't think it's as wide open because you're just not getting the best players separated out to all the schools. So, okay. So who's, so who's not getting the best players. That's like a, a, a wacky off the cuff team that sticks their nose in, in contention next year. Well, I think Penn State I, I think is this year you would have to at. say it was Utah, right? This year you would have to say Utah is that, where the heck did they come from? To a certain extent, it was LSU. 
Right. That that where the heck did they come from? Next year, way too early. That season ended yesterday. <laughs> we I mean, we talked about LSU already. You know, like but who do you see next year? That's just out of nowhere. It's hard. I don't think college football is set up where it's going to be. Baylor was in there this year where you're like, who? They were a school. I want to see a couple schools I'm interested in watching next year. One is definitely Minnesota to see what's the next step. Was this flash in the pan? Was this one year things went your way? And that kind of goes hand in hand with the other team I want to look at is Penn State because Penn State steals the Minnesota offensive coordinator. That guy comes over now to run the offense for Penn State, I believe. They bring a lot of guys back. So that's a team that faded a little bit, but you bring back your quarterback, you bring back, they're loaded at running back. Penn State has three guys, they're going to be four guys next year that are starting running backs. You do lose KJ to the pros, but you bring back one of the best tight ends, receivers. They had some young defenders. Parsons is coming back. That guy's going to be next year's defensive player of the year. He's going to be all over all of these watch lists and winning all these awards next year so penn state is a team that i'm looking at they get to host ohio state next year so in the big 10 that does matter when you're on the road and home it seems that that plays out for them so you host ohio state bringing back clifford a lot of talent there that's a program that i'm looking at is could hop in that hasn't been a part of this playoff outside of it's obvious Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson are so good, well-coached, well-run programs. But Minnesota, what do you do I'd the next LSU year? I'd stick LSU in there. I'd stick LSU in there, and I'd go so far as to say that Clyde Edwards-Alaire could be in that, that running back in that Heisman conversation. I think going into the season, you'd have to say that him and Chuba Hubbard are probably the two best backs in college football. With yeah. all of the guys oh, graduating, about that. with all of the guys graduating, right. you know Noah Kane. That, that's very close. And Noah Kane's in that conversation. <laughs> the Kane can stay healthy. Um, you know, one of the teams that I look at that's that's you know crazy, and just because I love Herm Edwards, I I think that out of the blue, you've got to look at a team like the Arizona Sun Devils. Their freshman quarterback is incredible. They have a great coach. They have the type of program out there where he's not afraid to go out and get some transfers. And then you also have to take that in stride with what is going on with that conference, right? So That's true. That's a good so point. So Mike Leach is gone. Washington State, Mike Leach is gone. Uh, Clay Helton is back, <laughs> which, you know, hey, whatever. Um Oregon Ducks lose Justin Herbert. The Utah Utes, who we've already forgotten about, were were a good team this year, are down Zach Moss and Brett Hundley. So, not to mention several defensive players. So, you know, when you look at a team like Arizona State, are they good enough to go undefeated? You know, maybe not, but their schedule is set up for them to potentially be sitting there in that conversation. Like, hey, here we are. We don't, they're, they're going to be that team that you say they haven't played anybody because they, they literally don't play anybody. Their out-of-conference schedule is Northern Arizona, UNLV, The and Lumberjacks. BYU. So, yeah, I mean, the Lumberjacks. What, how is Northern Arizona the Lumberjacks? Did I miss something in geography class? They've got trees. But I don't I – don't, Lumberjacks in Arizona, is that, is that a thing? I don't know much about the uh, terrain of Arizona, Northern Arizona. 
it's a desert, I thought. But okay, so uh, maybe northern Ari- oh, cacti? So northern Arizona. <laughs> the I don't know. Northern Arizona is up towards the you know the Rocky Mountain Range, that type thing. Yeah. Okay. It's, All right. So it's north. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the directional. Uh, maybe it's like assist. an LA Lakers thing. Minneapolis Lakers. Maybe northern Arizona was somewhere else. They moved and moved. A college and moved. The, name, the Utah Jazz. <laughs> Um, so Arizona State's one. I'm also looking at Auburn. You know, I mean, you got to look at your boy Bo Nix. You got to look at a team that like defense that. loses a lot of guys. That so. defense does lose a lot, but if there's something that Auburn does, they do retool their defense from year to year. Bo Nix gets a year older. You know, I mean, if if you would have said that Joe Burrow made a jump from last year to this year, people would have told you you're insane. So if you're looking for a guy to make that jump, you know, like wouldn't Bo Nix be one of those guys? Wouldn't Jaden Daniels be one of those guys? Wouldn't Sam Howell be one of those guys? Yeah, he's taking you this long to you get know, to your boy Sam Howell. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, You know, when I look at UNC, I think UNC has a ceiling. I think UNC's ceiling is winning that side of the conference, winning the division within that side of the conference. Unless Mac Brown brings in a Joe Brady type guy, I don't see him as a, a, an imaginative enough coach to take UNC to anything further than maybe like a marquee bowl, maybe being like that second best team in the ACC. Hey, UVA you get the this Orange year. Bowl like UVA did, but that's their ceiling. Unless he, they've got a rough in. start. If you're North Carolina, there's it's that's when you look at overreaction from the bowl games. And you and I were going back and forth about it a little bit. Sam Howell is going to be a guy that's going to be a sneaky pick for people. Watch this guy because he had better numbers than Trevor Lawrence this year when you just look at some of the big statistical categories. He played more than Trevor Lawrence did in the regular season for sure. But you open up at Central Florida, you play Auburn in Atlanta, and then your home opener is against the Dukes from JMU. Like, that's no joke if you're North Carolina. Those are three games right there. You better be ready to go. Did you watch that game? I did. That game was awesome. And if you're – we're talking about the BCS, right? The Bowl Champ. No, wait, no, the F FCS, the 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 football championship series, uh, division one, double A, whatever it is, subdivision. Yeah, JMU versus North Dakota State was off the charts. What a game! So you're that North was, Carolina. That was a sneaky. great game. Just we'll, we'll get that to some of those game. games, but and uh, James Madison played in that game, which was awesome. Um, Kevin Patron. Week one of the college football season is a mere nine months away. Eight months away. Yeah. You skipping the Shrine Bowl? Eight and a half. (laughs) Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl. Four days away, man. Tune in. Get yourself involved in those. Your boy Tyler Huntley in the Shrine Bowl. You're looking at getting hyped for next college football season. I look at schedules years in advance. I I do too. I do too. (laughs) It's it's fact. That's you know. Send a message on Facebook or Twitter as to how nerdy that is. But you know you do it, too. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't pretend like you don't do it, too. Well, they schedule these things decades ahead of time. There's plenty <laughs> of material there. Um, what are you looking at next year? I'm what looking are, at September 12th. Like, can I be that nerdy and dive into one weekend? Like, just is we're nearing the end of the yeah. season you already told me to clear my schedule you sent me a save the date like you were getting married. that's actually not a terrible i have idea. the magnet on my fridge right i'm anti-christmas cards <laughs> and thank you notes I, I, but a save the date for 
I'm just, I, you know what? I have the September 12th save the date. And I was wondering why I, I have the September 12th save the date. I didn't date. put the schedule so, on there. So why don't you tell me the schedule so I know why? Like, I, I don't that. know what order you want to put these in. <laughs> but just a couple games. Tennessee at Oklahoma. To start out, you got Tennessee, Oklahoma, Auburn versus North Carolina. As your college football fans in week two, those Ooh. are some programs that are fun Bo to Nicks watch. Oh, next for Sam Howell? This is early, right? Jeez. Then you get... Texas traveling at LSU. So Ellinger returns. Texas is it. This is a big season for Texas. You go to the defending national champions in week two. Oh, they got to play that game at night. That too. better be. They got to play that game at night too. So you're, you're seeing that game. And then you look at there's Penn state going to Blacksburg. Penn state comes on the field, enter Sandman starts. Here come the Hokies. That game will be at night. PSU is going to be a, they're going to be a top, Five six team, I believe, coming into next year. So you have Penn State, Virginia Tech. So right now, this day is wild. And then, wait, wait, there's more. Oh, there's more because <laughs> not a single game we've mentioned will Kirk Herb Street have been at. Because where Herbie is going to be, 8 p.m. prime time. You liked this show you got last night. Ohio State travels out west to play Oregon. Ohio State at Oregon. Ooh. September 12th. That's going to be the prime time game. Oof. It's Who's I, Oregon's quarterback. I mean, it's definitely a grad transfer. That's a fact. I thought, I thought yeah. it maybe, you know, I thought Jamie Newman would have been better suited to go to Oregon than that Georgia. That was a done deal. Like the whole thing with him and, and even De'Ara King, like their conversations are happening before the guys yeah. leave. So De'Ara King ends up at Oklahoma or LSU. I don't. I I feel like LSU has such a thing rolling. They are some of the teams are gonna lose are gonna learn from this free agent rush. Miles Brennan for LSU was supposed to be the guy when Burrow came in. They competed for the job. Right. So you have your guy who's now a. I think he'll be a redshirt junior next year. So he was in this system last year. This year with these new coaches, he's familiar with the receivers. I think LSU is going to say, we have this ball rolling. We're not going to dip into that and try to grab a guy for one guy one year and deal with that noise. We want to, we're going to learn from what happened here. We have our guy. This is the person that we recruited to come in here and was supposed to be the quarterback. And you have Brad Johnson's son. He's a, I think he's you know, game a, manager, a top 10. At his position, Super Bowl <laughs> champion, managed a Super Bowl, and he, you got him. So you have a, like a decent recruit coming in. I think he's a four-star, top ten pro-style quarterback. Whatever. I'm sure Brad Johnson's kid isn't a runner, but they—that's <laughs> a team that I think. I don't think they mess around with transfers. I think you understand that you have a system and it's working, and you have a strong locker room. And Orgeron seems like he is a loyal person. And I don't see them trying to grab a kid from Houston who quit on his team four games in and bring him into your locker room because he thinks this is how he's going to make more money. At yeah, the next I mean, level. I don't, I don't know if they bring in De'Ara King, but yeah, I, I could see them bringing in somebody. I think Brennan will be their to, starting quarterback. That's their guy. And that very well may be. Brennan may still win the job, but I think they bring somebody in for competition. I, I do think that they bring somebody it's in. Dangerous. And, if, and if you're a graduate transfer, you're you, trying to play you know, though. Why would it, you go there? Because you have a chance, 
if you're good enough to play, then you're good enough to play. You say, I can win this job. And if you don't win this job, you know, you're backing up a kid who is totally unproven. You know, you might come in halfway through the season. Somebody might get hurt. You know, you go. That's the same. That's the same argument that you could make. Like if you're a five star recruit, why would you go to Clemson? Why would you go to Alabama? Because if you think you're the best, you want to play for the but best. But you have four or if five years to do that. Best, if you a grand think you're the best, one year. Yeah, and you got to beat a kid who has no experience whatsoever. Miles Brandon has played very little. Right. And they have not committed to him whatsoever. They said there's a competition. Right. Next year will be a competition. So, you know, I, I think they bring somebody in for for at least competition. And it, it, going back to Oregon, Oregon brings somebody in who's their starting quarterback next year. They will be starting a. Grad I don't know what they have. Um, they will be starting a grand tra- grad transfer next year because with Justin Herbert over there, you know they they've they haven't recruited the quarterback position maybe as well as they would have wanted to. They brought in the number three knew. quarterback this year, and and, and there you go, Jay like Butterfield. If, if you're going to start a, a freshman, if you're going to start a freshman, yeah, it's Paul Butterfield's a great blues artist. They so um, Jay but is Jay Butterfield Paul Butterfield's son. Is Paul Butterfield from Brentwood, California? Probably. He's a okay. harmonica player, so he's got to be from somewhere out there. I'll look into that one. Yeah. But they freshmen showed this year they could play, so that's what excites me also about looking at next year is you would have thought some of these schools like Auburn, Auburn's losing a quarterback to the NFL. Was it Jared Stidham? Right. So that guy, Auburn, you're having to bring in a freshman. They had two freshmen battling out, I think, for their job with Gatewood and Bo Nick. So – it's interesting when you look at some of these schools. Herm Edwards hits on a quarterback. Auburn hits on a They have a guy that led them to an extremely successful season. So something I want to, I haven't paid much attention to until the last couple of days, I want to look at who's coming in. Right. All right who are these guys right. that we should be paying attention to? Does Alabama have the next Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, what's that kid's name? Like Bryce? It's not Bryce Perkins. I know that you want to say that, but it's Bryce Young. BY. Bryce, yeah. yeah. I was going to say Bryce Brown, but Bryce Brown was But a then Mac Jones, back, right? he that guy might be fine. I wouldn't be surprised if Mac Jones leads the SEC in passing yards next year. Mac Jones looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he has he, very good players. He looked fine. Uh they got they got a big win. I think DeVonte Smith said he's coming back. Yes. Waddle's not eligible. So they're going to lose Rugs and Judy and I'm sure they've got And they're Alabama. And they're Alabama. I'm sure yeah. they've got some guys coming back. They might have a couple. So um, and they p- were a very young defense who you have to expect is going to be a little bit better. I, you know, college football, for me, again, I, I just feel like it's so up in the air next year, very much more than I've, than I've felt, you know, the last couple of years. Because going into this year, I think Justin Fields was a question mark for Ohio State. You knew they were very good, but it was a sort of a holding pattern for Justin Fields. At Georgia had Jake Fromm, Alabama had Tua, Clemson had uh, Trevor Lawrence, LSU had a very good team and a capable quarterback. Nobody knew that Joe Burrow was going to be like that. Oregon had Justin Herbert. Uh, Oklahoma had Jalen Hurts. So the teams that you expected to be there ended up being there. I think next year could be a little bit more just upheaval to you just left out to, Tommy DeVito to the Blue Bloods, Tommy DeVito. Even get there. Who didn't? Who was maybe the one It'll of the most fine. disappointing, you know, college football seasons 
He'll be fine. This year yeah, with Syracuse, Syracuse Washington. So, you know, I, I just think that next year is going to be this the same old, same old with how wonderful college football is, but also just a lot more question marks going into the season, which make it that much more fun, which make preseason rankings that much more irrelevant when you take a look at it and you go, you know, our, some of our first episodes this year, we go, who's in the top 10 that's not going to be in the top 25 at the end of the season? Right. There's going to be more of that next year our than there was this year. Our preseason rankings will be must listen to. Most people's preseason rankings don't matter, but what we're going to give you, that's what, I mean, don't, we can't poo-poo all preseason rankings because – Oh, yeah, I mean, you're going to listen. Ours are going to be the most important. But this, you're going to listen. I love listening to the previews. And the way college football listen to the previews. The way college football is structured, teams play big games. And so when we look at that first month, we sit there 4 or 5 weeks into the season, you're going to have a really good idea of what it's going to look like, who's ready to play, and you can just start to plan your path through college football, what games are going to tell the story of this season. And I love it because you look at those first three or four weekends, huge matchups against teams we want to learn about. And you will from August 20-something when Notre Dame plays in Ireland through you know, the end of September, you will learn what we have. Right. And it just It's awesome. And, and there's so much other stuff within college football that's, that's fun to watch because it's not like you're watching college football and going, okay, so I'm going to watch this season and never watch again. You know, I, I want to see the direction of Florida State with Mike Norvell. I want to see the direction of UNC with with Sam Howell if that program is on the rise. I want to see what happens with Oregon. I think USC is stacked with young talent. I want to see what happens with Jaden Daniels out at Arizona State. Is, is Texas back or aren't they? I mean, how many times do we have to hear that Texas is back? And then towards the end of the season, you go – well, holy crap, maybe they're back. I don't yep. know. You know, Oklahoma got boat raced while they boat raced Utah. You know, and, and Sam Ellinger's coming back, and that's a very good team. So there's so many questions in college football that I love to see answered. And like you said, it turns over every year. It's, it's not like you have your team and you're like, oh, crap, you know, we're the Miami Dolphins. And Tom Brady's in our conference for the next 15 years. So we'll try to make a wild card. You know, these guys are transcendent players. And then they leave pretty quickly. And then it starts over again. Yep. And it's awesome. It's so much fun to watch. It starts over again for LSU next year. They, not totally. You know, not totally. Moss, Jamar Chase. Clyde Edwards Alaire, you know, like Edwards Alaire is the centerpiece of the of the offense next right. year. Can they continue? And that is awesome. And that is the fun thing about college football is that this whole thing turns over and we get to watch it all over again. And it is it, it's a fresh canvas. NFL, NBA, you know, a, a lot of the professional sports, they're not a fresh canvas from year to year. College football and to an extent college basketball are a fresh canvas every single year because the turnover is that way. But college basketball, it, it when you you're not discussing opening weekend games to get excited about because they matter. No, college basketball season started yesterday, right, or today. Oregon Auburn mattered the entire season. 
the opening weekend game between Oregon and Auburn was a storyline that was woven throughout the season and mattered. Yeah. Like that's the opening weekend game. Yeah. And that's a big deal. And yeah. that's how it is every year in college football. When Slovis is playing Alabama, that it matters. Dude, that dude can read like you have a big game. Are you the next transcendent talent? Are you a Heisman trophy guy? Are you a number one pick? Like, that's right there. And Alabama USC is going to be part of the conversation yep. on December 2nd when you're picking the playoff teams. And that game is September 5th. And you don't put it past Keaton Slovis. And don't I, and get into our preview yet. We want you to I tune think, in in six months. And I think that, that and I'll leave it with this thought. This will be my last thought, and then I'll let you have your closing thought. I don't have one. I think that that's what's so special about Joe Burrow this year. You know, as, as a closing thought as to this year's college football season, I think what I see and what I get out of Joe Burrow and what everybody can sort of ascend to with that kid is that he is the reason to tune into college football. He was not a five-star recruit. He was not on the Heisman radar coming into this year. He was not expected to do this, but he did. So who's the next guy that can do that? Is it Keaton Slovis? Is it Sean Clifford? Is it, you know, who is it? Because he's out there and he's going to have a special season next year. And it's going to be a guy that you may or may not expect. And that's what makes this so exciting is that they're kids. And what happens with these kids from year to year can be so special to watch like a guy like Joe Burrow, where you go, I've got to tune in. I've got to see if this happens. Who's the next guy next year? It's so great that Joe Burrow just did what he did because it's so fantastic for the game. It's so fantastic for the sport, and it's what it's all about. A, a non-five-star kid, a non-four-star kid, just turned in one of the greatest college football seasons that anybody's ever seen. And it was after programs told them they didn't want him. And then he comes in and he does that, which means that any kid out there wanting to play football may be that kid. Any fan out there who thinks my team doesn't have that guy may actually have that guy. And this is why it's great. This is why you tune in. This is why it's awesome. And that's what I love about college football is Joe Burrow personifies that opportunity. Church. Church. Well done. Well said. It's Every time they show Burrow running out of the tunnel with the E-A-U-X spelling, they showed that clip a lot. I got the tingles every time. I love that scene. It's all like the families lined up for senior night. The stadium is packed. It's a great point about Joe Burrow. College football takes the one shining moment of March Madness, and a kid like Jimmer Fredette can make a run. You know, or UConn would roll out a point guard like Shabazz Napier who goes on some run during March Madness. And it's it's compacted so people like it into four weeks. You have to tune in, you know, a dozen times and you get to see this amazing run. Kid you've never heard of all of a sudden. Frank the Tank Kaminsky, and you guys get nicknames, and they become Doug McDermott, whatever it is. There's guys who become household names because of March. The beauty of college football is it's the entire season, the way this thing is structured. We say it all the time that it is the best regular season in sports. 
you end up with four outstanding teams, the best teams playing for the championship. So as a college football fan, you and I have been talking about it for a long time. Who knows what's going to happen next year? Maybe you have that guy. Maybe you have that transcendent talent, the big-time kid that changes your program for whatever reason. And that's that's the fun part about it coming into next year. I don't know who it's going to be. Who's going to show up and all of a sudden becomes that guy that we're going to talk about as a special story? People do it every March. You just tune in in March and like, did you watch that game? And somebody becomes a cover guy. You know, a little insanity NBA kind of stuff that happens. But college football, it's months that this goes on. You follow these guys. I love college football. I'm so bummed right now that there's no games for us to be discussing. We'll find things to talk about. But, I mean, I'm looking at schedules. I'm looking at Heisman odds for next year. Chuba Hubbard announces he comes back. I'm, I'm just Chuba coming up. back. The Canadian train. He's going to be on the show next year. Lock that up. The, I am very confident that we're going to have Chuba Hubbard on the show. And right. And, like, the cool thing is, is that is it is it uh, – is it Bo Nix starting from his freshman year at game one? Is it Tua coming in, you know, in, in the college football playoff his freshman year? Is it Trevor Lawrence taking over at quarterback halfway through his freshman year? Is it Joe Burrow transferring? You know, where do you find these guys? Where do you find that storyline? And it's just year in and year out. What you thought was going to go down is not what goes down, but it never ceases to amaze you. It, what happens from year to year in college football never ceases to amaze you, and that's why it's awesome. I love it. Look, I'm going to say this right now. That's all for tonight. You know, this is when the music kicks in. That's all for tonight, and that is all for this season. But look, we're not done. The demand is there. And you give the people what they want, right, Henny? Oh, you yeah. give the people what they want. That's the demand is there. And we plan <laughs> to be with you throughout the offseason. Check us out for our offseason podcast, recruiting, NFL draft, coaching carousel, season previews, conference previews, Heisman previews, that whole thing. Why? You know it's because we absolutely love and are passionate about college football. But it's also about the listeners. As we wrap up our show tonight, as we wrap up our first season on air, I think I think I think I speak for the both of us, Henny, when I say thank you. You know, this has been special and encouraging, and it's because of the people out there. It's because of the listeners. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your support. We thank you for your reciprocal passion for the great sport of college football. So thank you. And please, as always, check us out. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Henny and Patron. Listen and subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcast. I think that's what it's called. Go on, rate and review us. Follow on Spotify, Anchor, Stitch. We're essentially – anyway, I always say essentially, right? Essentially anywhere podcasts so. are found. But check us out on Facebook, Henny and Patron, the two-drink minimum. Friend me at Dan Patron. You know, like whatever you guys want to do. We have loved getting to know you guys. We have loved you guys coming in, giving us comments, giving us responses. It's been fantastic. This is the most fun I have ever had during a college football season. And it's because we've had the opportunity to do this. It's because we've had the opportunity to have you guys listening. And just thank you from me, from Hanny. 
that's all we have for tonight. Again, off-season podcast. Come back and check us out. Special thanks to Brewery tonight. Delicious. It was delicious. I loved it. I, I had a that was absolutely phenomenal. I'd have another Ithaca Brewery. <laughs> Ithaca Brewery. Their Uncle Buzzy's double IPA. It's the last opportunity I have to say this during the regular season, non-off-season podcasts. I am Dan Patron, and he is Kevin Hennigan. And this is the two drink minimum. Cheers. Cheers.